0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I just want to extend a big thank you to any of you who are watching or listening today, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms. We're just really grateful that you would take any time out of your day to listen or, or watch the content that we've produced Now, some of you may notice, if you're listening, you may notice an increase in audio quality. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you may also notice that I'm using a new microphone setup. So, I just want to say a big shout out to uh, a donor who would like to remain anonymous for um, opting to donate um, some better quality uh, audio equipment for our podcast. So... Uh, You know who you are. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the support um, of the podcast. And so we're hoping that this new equipment will uh, help us to just uh, create better audio content for all of the listeners. So thank you very much. I also want to say thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast. Uh, Make sure that you're sharing this with any uh, of your friends or family that you think would benefit from hearing what we have to share. So uh, or Excuse me, previously, last week, we started a new series about temptation and what temptation looks like in the Bible. Today, we're going to continue with that series and get into the first instances of temptation that we see in the Bible. And we see that happening in Genesis 3. So Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, And in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you get the creation accounts. We get the understanding of how God created the heavens and earth and how humanity was made in God's own image. In Genesis 3 is where things start to fall apart, and we see that start to happen right in the first six verses. This is the first instance that we have of temptation in the Bible and, of course, then the first instances of sin that we see. And everything that happens after that kind of ties back to this moment of how Adam and Eve were living in perfection, but then temptation and sin entered into the garden, and everything since then has changed. So, we're going to jump straight into that, and again, we're looking at Genesis 3, chapters 1 through 6. uh, Or, excuse me, verses 1 through 6. Um, And so I'm just going to read a little each verse, uh, or a couple verses at a time, and then we're just going to have some uh, commentary about uh, what we're seeing happening. So uh, Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So here, what we have already is uh, temptation entering into the garden. And what's interesting is that this is not God doing the temptation. Something that God has created has been corrupted. So we're, we're not given a whole lot of information about how this corruption happened or how this serpent ended up uh, deciding to do this. Um, but we see that this is not God's doing to have Eve experienced this temptation. So right from the bat, we have this other power that's present in the garden with God and with Adam and Eve. So um, some of the words are really interesting that we have happening here. Um, This particular translation uses the word cunning, which in English is kind of a negative connotation. So cunning has this kind of sneaky uh, feel to it. What the original text is trying to convey is that this is a form of wisdom that is not from God. So that's what's really trying to that's what the words are really trying to express here. And cunning sort of gets in that direction, um, but the idea that we're supposed to get out of this is that this is a form of wisdom that is not based on fear of God. It's a wisdom outside of God. One thing that I find interesting is that this temptation is starting off with a question. It's not saying, oh, everything you know is wrong. It starts off with a question of, do you really know what God is saying? The serpent is checking Eve's knowledge and saying, do you really know what God is talking about? Are you sure that's what God has said? So it starts off with a question instead of an overt attempt at saying, Oh, go do this wrong thing that you know is wrong. It starts a little bit more innocently and almost as as if uh, the serpent is pretending that they may have a misunderstanding of God. So it starts off with that question, and it's also showing, trying to um, show us, the text is trying to show us the importance of knowing God's word. Um, when Eve responds, we do get a sense that she does know what God has said. Um, but definitely the text is trying to convey how important that is to know those things. Another interesting thing that's happening here is uh, when the serpent says, did God really say blah, 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 blah. Um, in Hebrew the original language that this was written in um, most writers when they talk about God use God's name as Yahweh that's kind of God's personal name that uh, people refer to God as that's God's personal uh, designation if you will but the Hebrew word in this sentence that is used for God is not It's something else altogether that makes God seem really impersonal. It's instead of God as a person, it's just more God as a concept. And so right away, the serpent is really doing something interesting and asking a question and pretending to misunderstand what God's word really is and also just kind of conveying God as being this impersonal uh, force instead of a personal God. So then we'll move into uh, verses 2 and 3, where Eve starts to respond to the serpent. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. So right here, Eve is already expressing that, No, I know what God's word says. So it's actually, and what we often think about this story is is as just a story of falling to temptation. But initially, Eve is resisting here. Eve is correcting or trying to correct the serpent's understanding, and Eve is essentially telling the serpent, no, I do understand God's word correctly and God's command correctly. I have been forbidden from partaking of the fruit of this tree. So here Eve is expressing that she knows what God's word is. So the first part of it, the serpent is trying to get her to doubt her knowledge, but then Eve is saying, no, I know what I'm talking about here. I know what God has said. Then that leads us to verse 4, where the tactic of the serpent changes based on what Eve understands. So, in verse 4, the serpent then says, No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, in verse 1, the serpent, again, was starting off with that question and seeing Okay, does Eve really know what she's talking about? Maybe I can mislead her if she's not quite sure about this. Eve then responds and says, No, I'm sure what God has said. From there, the serpent switches tactics and starts just to lie about these things. The serpent lies and says, You will not die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The serpent is offering here, a or attempting to offer, an opportunity to be similar to God. And that has an appeal, apparently, for Eve. Another interesting thing is that when the serpent, even though the serpent is lying, there are some half-truths to it. So, the serpent says, you will not die. Well, immediately, that's true. Adam and Eve don't immediately die once they partake of the tree, or of the fruit of the tree. That happens later. So there are some half-truths that the serpent is using. And that's something we need to be aware of when we talk about temptation. And we'll get to that in greater detail in a moment. So the serpent says that, you know, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then we'll look at verse 6, which will be the last uh, verse that we'll look at today. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Well, one of the first things I want to say right here. Uh, to this is that for so long, literally thousands of years, Eve has gotten a really bad rep for being the one who fell to temptation. But what scripture actually says is that Adam was with her, potentially the entire time. So it's not like Eve was separate from Adam, fell into temptation, and then went uh, back to Adam and also sent him down this road. Adam was there! (laughs) So Adam had a responsibility that he failed to say, I see what's going on, I know what God's word is, and I'm going to put a stop to that. So really, if we look at Scripture in its entirety here in this uh, passage, we see that Adam is there, and Adam was also responsible for this fall into sin. They share that responsibility equally. It's been a great disservice to women throughout history to only frame this temptation and initial fall into sin as something that is only Eve's responsibility. Adam was there too, and he also had a responsibility that he failed. This is a shared failure between the both of them. That's something I think that's really important that we need to be aware of. So, when you look at this passage uh, as a whole uh, verse uh, chapter again, Genesis chapter three, verses one through six, there was a couple of really interesting things that I kind of pulled out on a uh larger level when thinking about temptation. So the way I see it um, when I read the text here is that temptation kind of falls into two different categories. The first is questioning god or expressing doubt about what god's word means so in this uh example we have the serpent getting trying to get eve to think oh am i am i sure i know what god is saying am i sure i know what god's word really is um that's a very key way in which temptation works is questioning whether god's word is true or not now this extends to also, beyond people who believe in God, so peop- or excuse me, who don't believe in God, because if people don't believe in God, then temptation maybe works a little bit differently in their lives. It, uh, I think, still gets a person to question things. So maybe a person who doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in the Christian God, the way that temptation may work in their lives is to say something like, well, is this really Right. What's really right and wrong? So temptation often starts with that questioning of reality. That questioning of what has God said about this or this question about what is right and what is wrong. So in this kind of temptation, it's often then a way of looking for loopholes of saying, uh, is there a way that I can get around this somehow so that I can convince myself that this thing is right and I can do this thing that I want to do or that I'm being tempted to do. Um, You're really uh, looking for technicalities or loopholes. Another way that you might see this uh, coming about is you might think, oh, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about this circumstance or the Bible surely can't apply to this situation, so... It's really about questioning, okay, what has God really said here? Does it really apply here? Does it not? That, I think, is how temptation works in this first category that we see expressed in Genesis 3 1. The second category, as I'm seeing it here in this passage, is lies about reality. So sometimes temptation comes about via lies about what we're really experiencing so some of those lies that temptation might tell us are that oh you'll be happier if you do this thing or that thing uh the lie may be that oh that's not really who god is or that's not really what god says no god didn't mean that this is what it really must mean and gets people to sin along those lines instead it also um, can take the form of a lie about what you can be. So in the, the passage that we read in verse, uh, verses 4 and 5, the serpent is tempting Eve and saying, you can be like God. Sometimes we are tempted to be or to become things that are other than what God intended, us, intended for us to be. That may mean that we're seeking a sort of power over another person that perhaps we shouldn't be having. It can take so many different forms. What's really... um, Oh, what's the word for it? What's really pernicious and uh, pervasive about these lies that come with temptation is that oftentimes they're half-lies. Sometimes there's a slight element of truth to what is uh, being presented to us in temptation. So there may be some basis of reality and basis of truth in what you're being told in temptation, but then there's a lie that's built upon that. So as an example, maybe um, it may be true that somebody has wronged you and has done you harm. That may very well be true. But what temptation may do is take that a step further and say, because they have harmed you, you now have the right to harm them. There is an element of truth in that they have harmed you, but the lie is that you have the right to then harm them, to seek revenge or that sort of thing. So we have to be very careful when we're looking at temptation because oftentimes Again, there's an element of truth happening. So, looking at this text as a whole, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, it's a really interesting and rich text. It's one that um, so much of Scripture uh, goes back to in so many ways. If we don't understand this story, um, we lose a lot of the understanding of how the rest really got started. This is kind of a key starting point of how things go wrong in the Bible and in humanity. And so it's really important that we understand temptation. And so again, the idea that I'm putting forth is that there's kind of two different categories um, that we should watch out for when we're looking at temptation. There's categories of questioning and doubt, and then categories of uh, straight-out lies. Those are kind of the forms that temptation takes in our lives, and we need to be aware of that. Another quick aside is that, even though I just said that temptation sometimes takes the form of doubt, um, that doesn't mean that it's always wrong that we have questions, that we have doubts in our walk with God. We get to bring those questions to God. The problem is when these questions or these doubts potentially lead us into sin it's not a sin to have questions it's just where are those questions leading us are they leading us to betray god are they leading us to betray other people so that's a whole lot of stuff about temptation we're going to be con- uh, continuing this conversation in the next couple of weeks and looking at a couple of other episodes of temptation in the Bible as we go along. So um, if you have any other questions about temptation or uh, stories that you want us to look at, please let me know. My email address is listed in the episode comments down below. So please check that out. Let me know what you're thinking and what questions you may have. So thank you so much uh, for watching or for listening. Again, shout out to that one special listener who gave us this new uh, equipment. And we just wanted to say that we hope you all Have a wonderful and blessed day. Thank you.